G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. From the grassroots to the elite, from the juniors to the pros, covering the Aussies, trekking the globes, to the champions internationally. Welcome to the First Serve, your home of tennis. Hello, welcome along to the First Serve Monday night. We're back for another week. Uh, Brett Phillips uh, joined by the 2015 Newcomb medalist. He's the owner of the fastest serve ever recorded on tour, Sam Groth. Get out of town, mate. Grothy, welcome. Mate, good to be here. Happy to be here. What a week it's been in tennis. A lot of chat this week around how it's all going to work when we finally come out of this isolation situation. Maybe one day you and I will actually get to be back in the studio together. Who knows? We're all going a little bit nuts. We're uh, we're just we're, we're getting there. We're just working our way through uh, the week, Scrothy. In fact, I'm going to go straight tonight to the first serve mailbag, Sammy, because uh, we get a bit of correspondence from time to time. But this is a little bit uh, close to home now. I've got no idea if this is anything to do with what we did last Monday night. But I've been living in an apartment since February, so very different sort of living for me. And I've been getting used to living in an apartment. And I've got a note in my letterbox that said, hey, just a friendly reminder, to be considerate with noise when sharing walls with neighbours. Thank you. So I don't know which neighbour it's come from. They didn't put what unit they were in. Now, I don't know if it was you and I going toe-to-toe last week. I might have been watching an old footy match, and when I watch a bit of live sport, I tend to uh, put the volume on a little bit uh, louder. But how about that? They didn't even identify themselves, Grothy. So I'm getting used to living in an apartment where I've just got to watch the decibels. Yeah, interesting one there. I haven't had any complaints from my neighbours yet, and I've been here every day. Normally, well, I've got... My neighbours next door, they don't live here half the year and the ones on the other side I don't really speak to. So I'm quite happy in isolation, not uh, not being disturbed by anyone at the moment. All right, let's get into a big show uh, tonight. If you do want to send us some long-form correspondence, uh, the first serve, sen at gmail.com. You can write me an essay during the week and uh, very happy to read it. The fourth edition of the uh, Labor Cup, that's the latest domino to fall. Grothy, of course, it won't be held and, and they haven't started because of the coronavirus. We knew it was going to happen when the French uh, decided to to uh, move dates from their traditional May time slot to uh, late September that was going to run right into the uh, Labor Cup. So that's been pushed back to 2021. We still, I think, are of the view that internationally this is going to be a real battle to get some tennis up and running this year. But in the end, uh, and I think Craig Tiley certainly said it a few weeks ago on our show, Sam, that everything would sort itself out. And you almost got the feeling from that chat that the Labor Cup was probably not going to happen. Yeah, you just get the feeling that they were maybe trying to secure a place in the schedule for next year, work out where that event was going to sit. Obviously, going back to Boston again now, for 2021 and you know it was never going to work when they are conflicting with the Grand Slam so the French Open went and put themselves in that week you can't really expect the players especially the caliber they draw to the Labor Cup you've got all the top guys going there to expect them to have to choose or make a decision to maybe not play the French Open it was never going to happen so you know whether we're back on court that's a a whole nother question you know you know a lot of these sports are trying to get themselves back together I know golf this week announced I think June 8 they want to try and get the PGA Tour up and running so you know whether we're playing by September time who knows but at the moment I think 
you know, we'd, we'd love to be, but we're all still just sitting and waiting. Yeah, it's a player. one 736 736 if you'd like to join the conversation as we talk the world of tennis tonight, Brett Phillips and Sam Groth. Uh, tickets already purchased uh, will be valid in 2021 or can be refunded. So the folk in Boston will have to wait a year, but Roger Federer has said he is definitely going to play. There was a teleconference hookup, and I got the transcript from this, Grothy, during the week with the USTA CEO, Mike Douse, about a whole range of topics. Uh, he was chatting to the American tennis media. He was asked the question if, in fact, the US Open could be played without spectators. How significant would that impact be on your support initiatives? He's, quote, on Thursday in that telly hookup, uh, playing without spectators. We're not taking anything off the table right now, but to be honest and open, I think that's highly unlikely. That's not really in the spirit of the celebration of tennis. We've set a time frame around June to make a decision. That's pretty definitive. Well, it certainly is. I mean, they're not going to go ahead, as he said there, without spectators. I think that's one of the things that makes the US Open so special is that fan atmosphere. I mean, that Arthur Stadium is massive. I had the opportunity to play on that court against Roger Federer on a Friday night. There's nothing quite like it with the noise. But at the same time, the way New York looks at the moment, it's it's almost the worst place in the whole world with this whole situation that's going on. And you got to think that with, you know, those stadiums being basically a field hospital at the moment, I don't see how we're going to be playing tennis there anytime soon unless something really, really changes. And then not just playing, but as you said, it's it's such a... You know, to get everybody going there and you look at footage of tennis and all these people in the stands sitting so close together, it's not just encore. It's, it is a fan mm. experience. And you know, even Nick Kyrgios coming out this week saying that he wouldn't play a Grand Slam event if there wasn't fans in the crowd. We know he loves it, but so many of the players, I think, yeah. are of that same opinion. They love playing in front of the fans. It is an entertainment product. So while there is broadcast, I think the fans do make an event like that. Yeah, well, I was just having listened to uh, the mayor of New York. He's uh, having a big squabble with uh, D. Trump, and there's a bit to uh, a bit to sort out there because he wants uh, them to be bailed out as uh, the biggest area of the states where that pandemic has obviously taken its toll. Last week on the show, we did read out quite a few quotes from the ATP chairman, Andrea Gordenzi, about the stature of the game right now and into the future. Uh, that interview was with a bunch of Italian written journalists. He's also done a follow-up with the Tennis Channel. Let's uh, play you a little bit of uh, Andrea Gordenzi having a chat to Paul Anacone. How are things going with the ITF? Have you had conversations with Dave as well, Dave Haggerty, and, and trying to pool resources to make uniform decisions? Yes, as well, ITF is, is looking into joining forces for the player relief. We're discussing with them. They're always part of the group, together with the Grand Slams and WTA. Relationships so far has been very good. This crisis could divide us further or could unite us once and for all. So I hope that the latter will happen. So just the last bit of that grab there about the relationship with the ITF, it certainly came out in that response and it's, it's sort of now or never. We've all got to get on the same page and if we can, we can really make this sport the best product it can be. And just also Gordenzi chatting further on financial relief for the players. I've heard a lot of different components about trying to figure out a way to get some financial resources, some financial aid to some of the players, particularly at the lower rung. I know you guys have had conversations are you having these conversations as a tour or are you doing it as a whole with the other Grand Slams and the other governances? They started as a tour together also with the WTA and we're discussing with the Player Council as well. You know, there was a strong desire also from the top player to, to help themselves, the lower ranked players. So we, we're going to try to step in in the next couple of weeks and provide support to those players who don't have the means to actually go on financially in these very difficult times. And we're asking the Grand Slams to join in four 
courses. So we will know in the next couple of weeks. But um, you know, the discussion we're having, you know, are very positive, and I'm sure we will be able to come up with something. So Grothy, that was on Thursday, having a chat on the tennis channel. We'll go on to what's transpired from an ATP player council point of view. But I think we certainly understand the picture here, that the ATP, the ITF, the WTA, just as organisations, can't simply bail out the players. This has to be a collaborative effort right across the board of all the stakeholders contributing a certain amount. Yeah, you can't just expect the two. I mean, the tour actually runs as a not-for-profit, so everything they make every year, it all comes basically from the tour finals. Now the ATP Cup is obviously the other event that the ATP owns, just speaking from the men's tour point of view. Now, if those events, if, if the tour finals don't go ahead, then the yeah. ATP doesn't have that revenue coming in, which is obviously the biggest part of how they make their money with selling the broadcast rights to that event, tickets to that event, sponsors to that event. That's how they produce so much of their money. And if that doesn't go ahead this year, you hear him say, the ATP can't just bail players out. Now, I'm sure the WTA is the same, and I don't think they're in as financial strong a position as the ATP currently is. So to have the tours bail it out themselves, it's definitely going to need some buy-in from the outside stakeholders, so all seven, as we've, we've heard over the last few weeks. But also, as we're hearing now, if it is going to happen, it's going to have to come from a lot of the top players too. So let's move on to what transpired on Friday. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. if you want to weigh in. The world number one and the current president of the ATP Player Council, Novak Djokovic, he sent a proposal, I've had a read of it today, to all the ATP players for a player relief fund that would generate more than $4 million. In that letter, he said he, Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer, had worked on the plan. He made the comment that the ATP had committed to allocating $1 million aimed at the players 150 to 400. Now, when Djokovic, Nadal and Federer came together, they thought it was more important to support the players from 250 to 700. So their rationale was that the first 250 have either played main draw or qualities at the Australian Open back in January where they've been able to earn some sort of decent money. They have proposed that the top 100 players in singles and the top 20 players in doubles contribute financially to the plight of those well below. So their proposal is that the top five singles players would give 30k each, 6 to 10, 20k, 11 to 20, 15k, 21 to 50 would chip in 10,000 each, and the players ranked 51 to 100 would chip in 5,000 each. The top 20 doubles players would contribute 5,000 each. So there's over a million dollars there, a million from the ATP. And then uh, Gudenzi, you didn't state that in that Tennis Channel interview, but he told Djokovic, and this was Djokovic's quotes, that there's a very good chance that each of the Grand Slams will contribute about 500,000 each. And then depending what the ITF may contribute. And the aim, Grothy, is to put $10,000 into each player's pocket in that rankings bracket of 250 to 700. Well, it's a bold plan, that's for sure. And people are going to question how much are the top players putting in. I guess you know, people might say that those guys could put a lot more than 30000 in, but you've got to understand it's not their responsibility either to do so. I think the thing to understand here is as well, is someone ranked 95 in the world prepared to give up $5,000 for the sake of someone lower? And... I also noticed there the ATP, they wanted to keep it 150 to 400. I guess that's sort of the ranking base that the ATP Tour and the Challenger Tour would encapsulate. So below that would go back to the ITF Tour. It's maybe people who haven't quite cemented themselves. So, you know, I understand, and it's great that these, the players are trying to come up with a way to build a fund and how it works. Obviously, there's so much still here to work through. I mean, and I guess we could maybe try and get some of these Aussie players and find out, but you know, are they prepared to give up in a sport that's so individual where you battle against a guy on the other side of the court 
and you would do anything to beat them, are you going to give up the money that you've worked so hard to to, to earn and to get your spot to all of a sudden mm. support a guy ranked 680 in the world? I'm going to save my response for after the break, Grothy. We're going to hear from some influential people in tennis from a broadcasting uh, point of view. And we're also going to bring into the chat tonight Matt Ebden and Storm Sanders from an Aussie perspective to see how they're dealing with this whole coronavirus and uh, their thoughts on the big issue in tennis here. one 736 We'll continue the discussion as tennis, like all sports, tries to navigate their way through these unprecedented times. You're listening to The First Serve, your home of tennis. The First Serve, your home of tennis. Welcome back to The First Serve. Of course, we're here thanks to Top Agents Real Estate. If you're looking to buy, rent, sell, or have that property investment managed, you can make contact with David and his team in the office. I'll be back there tomorrow, 955 If you're in Melbourne looking to get to Melbourne when you can fly to Melbourne at some point in the future or head to their website top-agents.com.au and you can follow them on Facebook and Instagram. Of course, make sure you follow our website right throughout the week, thefirstserve.com.au. We've got podcasts. Of course, Aussies only and crunching the numbers, plenty of written content, all part of our additional content to compliment Grothy and I on a Monday night. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. if you want to join in the conversation. So... We mentioned just before the break, Sam, about the Djokovic signed letter in collaboration with Nadal and Federer to try and work on this scale of funding the lower-ranked players. And he's basically asking for the top 100 players in singles and the top 20 players in doubles to make a what appears to be, at this stage, a one-off financial contribution to get the players ranked a lot lower through this really difficult period so they're not lost to tennis. Here's just a couple of reactions. Tennis journalist uh, John Wertheim on the Tennis Channel had this to say in the last few days. I had heard that there's a lot of talk about interest-free loans against future prize money, but I just looked it up. The guy ranked number 500 right now, Johan Niklas of Switzerland, ranked 500. Here's a guy, he's, he's made $1,900 so far this year. He's made less than $70,000 for his career. So I think we kind of go back to this old debate about how many professional players can this sport accommodate. $10,000 to a guy who's, you know, made $1,900 so far this year seems awful generous at the same time i don't see the nba saying you know what way too many people want to play basketball we need to cut the roles i mean i think tennis is debating how many pros is enough how many is the right number but i can't imagine too many other sports saying whoa 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 too many players want to do this too many players aspire to get to the nba we need to cut back our workforce so in a sense if everyone's getting ten thousand dollars up to 700 i think ultimately that's to the health of the sport grothy what's your reaction to john uh look i don't disagree so i think a hundred percent he, he's right. It's it's a large chunk of money for someone that, I mean, it's what, a seventh of his career prize money this guy's going to get in, in one paycheck. But also, do we scale back? I think there's got to be this, the the monetary value and, and the economy to support all of these players. If we're talking about not cutting back the workforce, there's a reason why that guy's only made $1,900 a year or $70,000 for his career. That money comes in the NBA, for example, in broadcast rights, in contracts, in people going and watching. Is someone going to go pay to watch a guy 500 in the world or 700 in the world that much money is it financially viable is there the the market for it i mean that's the question it's not about cutting the workforce back but it's it's supply mm. and demand in a sporting market really he was the view grothy i just want to play a little bit of mary carrillo former player of course a long time sports broadcast not only in tennis we had a slightly different view to john on where the scale of uh, payment should be i'm a little surprised that uh, there are that 
the latest report today said it's between 250 and 700. What I always think is if you are good enough to get into a major, you know, just get into the first round of a major, if you can do that four times a year, you're pretty much covering your nut because that's usually between 40 and 50 grand if you get to the first round of one of the four majors. But those after the 128, those 128 people, I don't know why they started 250. I think there are a lot more players. I'm not even sure we can support the number 700 player in the world. I'm worried about about the ones way before that. And Grothy, I think she makes a great point because if we're just going 250 down the order, I mean, all the players from 128 to 250, and that fluctuates. Those who sort of sit in that bracket sometimes will play qualifying, sometimes they miss qualifying. So it's not a guarantee that they're getting this money four times a year through qualifying and then if they're lucky to make uh, the main draw. So uh, we know that anyone outside the top 100 is is not doing it easy. I'll tell you what, you'd be blowing up if you're Philippa Baldy right now who's ranked 249 in the world and he's on the same amount of points as who's at Daniel Masur ranked 250 on the ATP rankings all of a sudden from being you know just that one jump ahead you're going to miss out on the 10 grand the guy one spot behind you is going to get it I sort of and I tend to agree with Mary here on, on where the scale should start to be honest and I think they're the players that are consistently adding to either the challenger tour or the ATP tour you got to remember this is still a business I think that's what people forget yes it's their livelihood but who are the players that are consistently contributing to the world that is professional tennis and I think sometimes once you get to and, and plenty of good players come through and they all start lower rank don't get me wrong but so many guys as well float around that 500 to a thousand mark playing tennis part-time coaching some of it because you have to to be able to keep surviving during that period but some because it's they enjoy going playing a handful of professional events every year they're a decent player and they're able to maintain that ranking so I think you've also mm-hmm. got to look at who are the players we're supporting and what are they contributing back especially when all this is done but also i think the wider conversation has to be a little bit well okay we're going to support them now with these one-off payments but what are we doing to support that lower echelon all the way down when this is all over yeah this is where we talk about tennis being so unique i've been watching grothy i got into netflix i tell you i discovered it a week ago i can't get off netflix but i've been watching sunderland till i die i recommend it it is a brilliant series about their fall from the premier league to the championship to league one where the salaries I mean, it's like chalk and cheese. It's it's going from earning extraordinary money to basically, you know, just putting uh, some groceries uh, in the cupboard and in the fridge uh, every single week. But I suppose the point being, even the third tier of English football, you are getting a base payment. So tennis is in that unique position where you don't have that. You're fighting for, for prize money to survive. So the question is, in the whole restructure of tennis, if the aim is to try and give more players the opportunity to earn an income and dream of getting as far as they can up the ladder, should there be some sort of kitty there or some sort of base that they they become contracted to the tour? And you, you get this as the starting point. We're not giving you any more after this. And you've got to then go about your business as a subcontractor, freelancer, however you want to phrase it. I, I I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure what the uh, the solution is to the uh, entire problem. I think the problem is, though, that you're comparing it to a, a, a sport that has a fan base for a singular team, a city yep. behind Sunderland. I mean, no matter what division they're going to be in, the city's still going to pack that stadium. Is, is a city going to pack mm-hmm. a stadium to go and watch the 500th-ranked player when this is all over to help support them after this? That's the question. I mean, I don't think... And it's one of the problems we've always had is we've had a problem in tennis trying to promote that lower uh, tier of players and get the following behind them. It's so strong at the top. But if you go 
are, are people going to turn up? And it's probably been a little bit of the problem with tennis is, is the opinion is that a guy ranked 500 is not very good. Now, that's not what I'm saying at all. These guys are, are great tennis players. Now, they're not Roger Federer. But are you going to be able to get a stadium to pack out to watch that guy play? I don't think so. No, that, that is correct. So you, you're saying you're of the view that there's just – well, I mean, I think we all concur here. I mean, we're not sitting in the uh, uh, the meetings where all the dollars are being discussed. But clearly there's not enough money to simply fund – every single player on the tour. I mean, there's 3,000 players thereabouts who have got yeah. a ranking. But I suppose the big argument, I know John Millman's uh, made a comment today, you might just want to touch on uh, Grothy in regard to, you know, this job keeper, which I'm sorting myself uh, through, like many around the country are trying to make sense of, you know, that there's still this huge gap between the top end and the bottom end, but what what's the solution to make it more even without you know rewarding someone who is maybe five or six hundred that you know from an economic point of view is not uh, generating those dollars to justify maybe earning those dollars? Yeah, well, he's come out and said I think in an interview with Darren Walton as well he's getting all the players in at the moment, but you know come out and said that you know players making seven hundred fifty dollars a week on the JobKeeper are better off than they would be playing professional tennis. Well. You know, he, he might be right. Obviously, that's, we don't know how long that'll that'll stay like that for. But at the same time, I think, and I've said it before, and I sound sometimes probably a little bit harsh when I say it, but if you're not good enough at a job, and that, that might not be tennis, but any career where you can support yourself and fund it, then maybe you need to find a different job. So if we're doing this job and we're no good at it and we can't yep. get enough work to put food on the table, we probably should be doing something else at the same time. And I think mm. that's a hard reality for a lot of players because you have a dream. We all like to follow our dreams. I was lucky enough. I followed mine. I got to a point where I was able to fund myself and play. Johnny's doing the same. But if at some point that's not sustainable, then is it up to the top echelon of players to support somebody else's career? Grothy, maybe a hard one to answer as we head to the break, but what's your gut feeling of the top 100 players? What percentage would just go, no problems? Happy no, to go into very the few. I reckon you'd be lucky to get fifty percent of them really? who would who would openly, you know, maybe they won't they won't publicly say it, but I yeah. think that you've got a time span on your career. You don't know how long this is going to last. Mm. You know I mean you one slip and you injure yourself and you're done. So, yep. you know, I, I get that the top players are in, in a better position to be able to do this, and it's easy for them to say everybody else put in. But I think you're going to get a lot of players who also at the same time think. Well, where's the value in this for me? Plenty to discuss. Let's, after the break, bring in a couple of Australians to weigh into everything that's going on. Matt Ebden, who's had a 15-year pro career. Storm Sanders, we haven't seen the best of Storm. Her career's been stifled by injury. She can certainly play seven years younger at a different stage of her career. We'll bring them into the discussion. Yarra Tennis Coaching, Melbourne's award-winning coaching program, is at Eaglemont on hold at the moment. Unfortunately, like all the tennis clubs around Melbourne, the gates are locked, but when they're back and running, one of the best coaching businesses going around. Check out Shane and his team, yarratennis.com.au. Back with more here on The First Serve on SCN. The First Serve, your home of tennis. Still pretty good right now. I'm back into physical activity, started hitting. No real restrictions, which is good. Just trying not to uh, trying to rush it back with this prolonged time out. I don't have to really force myself to come back. It's tough, you know. Obviously, felt good coming into the start of the year. Did a full preseason. Then the last couple of days of preseason, I just felt knackered. Told my trainers, like, yeah, it should be fine. You know, it's just the end of preseason. I was like, yeah, it's probably, that's probably normal. But uh, yeah, I had a light hit and I just felt like laying down like on the mat. Uh, I don't know. I just didn't feel like getting up. And then, yeah, I got a blood test. My tonsils were messed up. 
and yeah, got told I'd glands or fever. So uh, yeah, frustrating because I was hitting all the good tests, all the good markers, fitness testing wise in the off season, and then uh, yeah, season comes along and I'm uh, yet again another false start, which is tough. Yeah, the voice of uh, Thanasi Kokonakis catching up with Todd Woodbridge, who's been catching up with all the uh, Australians uh, via tennis.com.au. Some really good chats. And uh, Grothy, he's used to having uh, time off the circuit, so this doesn't feel uh, probably any different other than that you we're all just feeling a little hemmed in at the moment and a little bit of cabin fever. But let's hope at some point... Uh, it can all just click and uh, the gods can be on his side. Well, we keep saying the same thing, don't we? That's what we've been waiting for for so long. It was interesting to hear him talk and hear him say that how serious some of the health problems were. I think he said he stopped breathing in his sleep and yeah. obviously he's had a lot of injury troubles, but you know, you just you just want him to be fit. I think you just want him to have a chance. Now, whether he, he ever gets back to the point where he, he's physically good enough to compete week in, week out, but just to give himself a chance to maybe play a full season. Look at a guy like James Duckworth who struggled with injuries and now has got himself fit and was able to play all last year, got back inside the top 100. Johnny Millman's a little bit the mm. same, had shoulder surgeries and time away. And you know, there's examples there in the Australian men's game where you can probably follow as well. Well, let's continue that Australian player flavour because we're going to welcome in uh, two Australians to join our conversation tonight about everything happening around the world of tennis, uh, Matt Ebden and Storm Sanders. Uh, Storm, welcome to you. First, you're in Melbourne. If we could be in a studio, we would have loved to have had you in live, but really appreciate you coming on the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Nice to have you here. And we go all the way across the Nullarbor to his uh, native Perth. Matt Ebden, great to have you back on the show, Matt. Yeah, thanks. Hey, how are you guys? Good, good to be on. Yeah, we're going, uh, going okay. Storm, uh, how, are you, how are you coping with uh, not being able to do what you love and travel? And it's, uh, it's a very different feeling for a tennis player. Uh, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a little bit tricky, but I've, I've been pretty lucky that, um, you know, I've set up a bit of a home gym. Uh, in my garage, which has been um, pretty helpful, and you know, have a wall down the road which I can go and hit on. So, you know, it's um, it's been okay. I think it's been about four weeks now that I've been in lockdown, I guess. Um, so I think now starting to, you know, you're starting to feel it a little bit, and it's becoming a bit more of a grind, and just not knowing, um, yeah, when things are going to go back to normal. But um, yeah, just kind of trying to find things to do around the house, do a bit of spring cleaning and get training in as well. So, um, yeah, just trying to find things to do. And you'd had a bit of a break before, obviously, all of this stuff started and then had come back. We're making your way up the rankings, really pushing hard. How, I guess, do you approach mentally this situation? Because you'd already had, as I mentioned, that break away from the game. Yeah, definitely. It's um, It has been pretty um, tricky, actually, because I, I did was planning to get on a roll with my singles and, um, just had some really good success from November pretty much to February and, you know, got my ranking, doubles ranking inside. I think I was about 75, so I was looking at playing French and getting into the slams. And, you know, when I've had time off in the past, it's been from the injury break where I've actually not been able to physically play. So I've been recovering from an injury and I've always had, you know, goals set for what I need to uh, achieve in my rehab and everything. So this has actually been very different because I'm completely healthy and I'm fit and I'm ready to go and to actually be forced to stop has been yeah a little bit of a challenge so I, I keep trying to keep having a routine every day and setting mini goals for myself whether it's physically and whatnot and you know watching some more matches of myself and I've been playing well or watching other players so you know just like when I'm injured just trying to find ways to improve I guess off the court as well. Maddie, you're a little bit the same it's actually good to have you on I haven't spoken to you in a while yeah, but up? you you've been having extended breaks as well from the game you've been back playing I think you were actually playing 
a little bit of doubles with Leander Pays as well, who's now played doubles, I think, with every single player that's ever played on the yeah. ATP Tour. But I guess it's for me, with you, as someone who's been in the top 100 for a long time, has drifted out, sits where you are now, there's a whole discussion this week around this player relief fund. Um, first of all, how are you getting through, I guess, this situation? And then for me, what, what's your opinion on where this fund should settle? And if, if you were inside the top 100, would you willingly give up that money to support players? I guess I'm putting you on the spot a little bit with that question, but yeah. it, it's a tough situation. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, first of all, yeah, good to chat, mate. Uh, yeah, been been a while. Um, well, yeah, firstly, um, yeah, I, I had a, you know, a bit of a foot injury last year. It kept me out quite a few months. Um, then trying to play catch-up later in the year, sort of burnt myself out and then stopped the season early. So I played probably less than half the season and as such had less than half a ranking. But... You know, I took my breaks and was ready for the start of this year to, to start up again. So I was physically and mentally sort of fresh and ready for a, a whole season. Um, so to stop after February was, you know, a bit of a, a bummer, I suppose. But yeah, singles and doubles, like you mentioned. Yeah, I had a bit, bit of fun with Leander Pays, played in India and Dubai. Um, and then, yeah, I was set to, to continue on from there. But obviously, that's a no-go. So yeah, I'm in Perth and... Yeah, had a you now well, six to eight weeks of training. Some weeks more full-on training than others, and other weeks just a bit more maintenance stuff, keeping it fun and stimulating. Um, now all of a sudden, when there's a you know a three or four month pushback date for for a start of the season, it's a, it's a really really long time to sort of mentally lock in day in day out and train the house down for you know four months. It's a really really long time. So we've just been trying to segment um, the months, I suppose, into few week blocks at a time and uh, sort of keep mixing it up keep it fun and stimulating do some different things but so yeah that that leads me to your next part of your question about the the player relief fund um yeah i'm in mean, a group chat with all the tour guys as well i don't know some, some of you guys may or may not be but um yeah it's been a lot of discussion the last six or eight weeks with you know everybody from novak to the guy ranked 100 or 200 in the world um everybody giving their sort of two cents and advice. Novak's been really, I guess, um, pushing to, to help, you know, well, or, or to start the, the talks to help players uh, slightly lower down the rankings. Um, he's he's now successfully, I'm told, gotten backing from the four Grand Slams at about 500,000 each and I think about 1.2 million from the ATP. So that puts it well over 3 million. And he also suggested that if the World Tour finals do go ahead, at the end of the year, that I think 50% of the total pay packet of that gets donated to the player relief fund as well. And like you say, he's you know they've put out a tender to top 100 players to see if they will donate even more to this player relief fund. So personally, like you say, you know obviously my ranking is low at the moment, so I'm not one of those that's sort of being asked to donate. But as a former top 50 player, I can choose to donate the money if I want to. I, I haven't decided if I will do that or not. Um, I'm actually in the ranking zone where I'll potentially get some funds from a relief fund, um, depending exactly how they do it. They are looking now to do like a selection criteria or an application for this relief fund. So yeah, we'll, we'll see where that goes. To answer a few of your questions, yeah. It's uh, it's it's interesting. I mean, to both of you, you're, you're at you know, different stages of your career. Matt, you've been 15 years as a pro. I mean, your prize money is uh, is public knowledge and uh, Storm also for you. I mean, you know, I think I made the comment before the break, Storm. It's a shame that the two has stopped because... 
Unfortunately, we haven't been able to see the total best of you because of injury and at 25, just heading into that you know, great sort of age demographic to really make your mark on the sport. And we, we know that you're a better player than what your ranking is. And if you could get that continuity, that would uh, certainly come down pretty quickly. But Matt, you've been able to, you know, outside of tennis also creates, you know, other uh, revenue streams, business interests, invest. And, you know, I was reading a few quotes from the weekend. Storm, I don't know where you sit in terms of how this is really affecting you storm if i might ask you first if we played no tennis for the rest of the year i mean you've been able to earn some prize money out of tennis that's been stop and start for you but how do you cope with that to be honest it would be a very difficult financial situation for me um but i've gone through this before with my injuries where even coaching i wasn't able to do because of you know my injuries that wouldn't let me basically but um you know even before in, in here in Victoria, um, before they shut down kind of tennis clubs, like I was already kind of planning to do some coaching to get some, yeah, some funds basically. Um, you know, everyone has expenses to pay and, you know, even though the expenses might not be so much traveling internationally, but still rent and uh, food and, you know, daily living expenses. So if, if the season was canceled for the whole year, it, it would be tough, um, tough for me. I've applied for Centrelink, so waiting to hear back from that but you know I'm lucky that I did have a good maybe you know four to five months before this stopping so there's a lot more players in worse yeah. positions than I am um, yeah. at the moment so for those players like I don't know what they're going to do because there is no date that we we know yet well there is a date but that's going to potentially change and you know, could potentially be wiped out for the year and who knows how the season will end up looking next year as well. Maddie, you can answer it with a little bit more seniority and, as I mentioned, a little bit more behind you. But also, I'd love you to put your hat on as someone, every time I sit down and talk to you, you've got a lot of thoughts about the game. I think you're... You're very worldly and, um, you know, thinking outside of just tennis, you've got that business mind as well. If you were sitting in the chair of how many players should be able to make a living out of the sport, I mean, how, how does tennis position itself going forward? This is a probably a great opportunity to make the sport really work that maybe hasn't worked for a lot of players well down the pecking order. Yeah, I think I think it is. And I think in these sort of times, I've been saying you know, to a lot of people close to me for the last couple of months, you know, in every sort of crises or, you know, times like this as normal not being injured there's, there's always opportunities and that's sort of a little bit the way I like to look at things yeah one of them is definitely getting organized you know with, on the tour front with you know the players uh, the men's tour and the women's tour and sort of getting everyone sort of uh, united and joined and then collaborating um, with the ATP with the Grand Slams with sponsors funds TV to um, you know provide the best for our sport and to create win-wins for everybody um, in terms of the, the you know the tennis payment one, it's, it's been a, a big topic of conversation for the last five or ten years now. Um, it's all heading in the right direction, but yeah, this you know something like this really amplifies some of the issues, and that's you know the fact that um, you know there's no salaries in tennis, even even sort of the top players, you know even if you're sitting there in the top hundred or something, and um, you know you think oh yeah it's all, all well and good you're in the Grand Slams you're earning a lot of money, but you know, if you don't play well for six months or 12 months, your ranking's gone and you're only basically paid per performance. So, um, yeah, that, that, that sort of underlying one where there's no sort of backbone of support for many players or, you know, any sort of salary base and the fact that the players are obviously hiring their own, you know, coaches, physios, um, teams, maybe their wives, some travelling with kids or families, 
um, then yes, you know, times like this when the tour all of a sudden has to stop, or, or if people get injured, or you know, many reasons, not not only just coronavirus, um, it, it does amplify a lot of those issues. So I know uh, that that the tour and, and everyone in the tour and the ATP are looking to do or to use this time effectively. You know, they've got at least three or four months, potentially longer, to to really sort of um, you know straighten the path and hopefully create you know more of a, I suppose, uh, a safety net for, for more players uh, more often and, and starting now in this time. You mentioned that you've been involved in some of those chats, um, group chats, and from an ATP perspective, do you see the two are coming out of this more unified and, and with a different structure than the one that we currently see? Yeah, it's a tough question. I have yeah, I've been you know, approached a bit by some of the ATP staff to potentially run for the council again this year. Meetings were supposed to be happening at Indian Wells and at Wimbledon. Um, that's obviously not going to happen. So the ATP is in a bit of a, a mess, um, you know, not to their own doing. Um, and to deal with this crisis, I think everyone's pretty sort of understanding at the moment that, you know, it's it's a logistical nightmare and a financial nightmare for not only ATP, but all the, you know, the tournaments, insurance companies, sponsors, TV, um, so all those things. So I, I do think this is, um, to answer your question exactly, I, I do think the ATP will come out of this slightly more unified to, to you know exactly what degree and, and how much I don't know but I definitely think that we will be or you know the, the players or the tour or, or everyone combined will be definitely more unified and more everyone coming together for the greater good you know to create win-win situations for, for everyone involved in our whole sport whether it's you know at a, at a smaller community level lower professional level or the very top of the game I, I do think so and, and that seems to be happening uh, Novak's taken charge with with a lot of the other council members, and a lot of the players are even getting involved, giving their support. And even now, Novak's um, got Rafa and Roger involved, you know, quite heavily, and they've been obviously collaborating with the Grand Slams, as you know, they're on very close um, terms with them. Yep. And so that all seems to be going in the right way. So I, I can only hope for the best. Yeah, let's uh, watch this space. It's a fascinating time in tennis, in sport. In everyone's lives uh, right now, it's a chance to just reset as, uh, as people, uh, the sports we're involved in, everything. Just it's an amazing time we're in at the moment. Uh, Matt Storm, we could talk to you for an hour. Hey, really appreciate you uh, just giving us some insights and hopefully you're, you're back out there sooner rather than later, but uh, both stay safe and uh, always appreciate you coming on. We'll come back and wrap up The First Serve. The First Serve, your home of tennis. First one's a tennis-related one. Have you ever stolen anything from a tennis tournament? Hey, easy. Hey. Hey. Elastic band for warm-up and this. That was. Have you ever strung your own racket? Fabio, <laughs> <laughs> my man, my man. I'm the same. I've never, I've never strung a racket. <laughs> okay, all right. Have you ever? skipped a pre-match warm-up and just gone straight to the match. <laughs> Fabio, for sure. Fabio, never. Fabio, sure. never. Oh, I'm enjoying a bit of Tennis United. Uh, it's come together, the ATP, the WTA, Bethany Maddox-Sands. We had her on the show here last year. She was outstanding. And uh, Vashik Pospisil, Grothy, we had on a few weeks ago. So they are the burning questions for you, Grothy. Ever stole anything from a tournament? I've got a full cupboard full of towels just out the back here. Every tournament that I've basically ever played in. I think that's a, that's a stock standard one for, for tennis players, that one taking stuff. I think I've also got a uh, in my kitchen a cupboard full of the uh, 
Australian Open and the Come French on. Open, the little Lavazza coffee Ooh, coffee sets that nice. maybe I just pinched them were on the road as well. Ooh, ever strung your own racket? Yeah, when I was younger, I hate it. I can't think of anything worse. Mr. Pre-match warm-up? Yeah, I don't know about that one. I think I was always pretty good. I don't really know if there was a time where I missed Mr. Pre-match warm-up. <laughs> I could imagine Fabio missing. He wouldn't be I a knew, fan of... I knew he was going to say that he do it, was, it was obvious that that one was coming. You could hear them both crack up laughing. So the wash-up, Grothy, as we're about to close up, there was a couple of interesting quotes today that I read on Twitter because we had... Sophia Shepatava on our show a few weeks ago and uh, the 371st ranked player who's got the petition going with the ITF there's I think over 2,000 signatures on that but there's one quote just in relation to a tweet she put out uh, the distribution of prize money from the top ranked players to the lower ranked players is a disgrace all players on the tour should be on a base salary of 150k then a lower amount of distributed prize money the top players could have changed this but chose not to. This is a, a comment that was made on social media that all prize money should be capped to a maximum 250k for a win, then using a sliding down scale for runner-up, semi-final, quarter-final, then draw on the remainder to pay the players. Interesting thought. Obviously not, not quite an understanding there of how a business works. Obviously that'd be great if you were just paying everyone to turn up, but you know I think there's a lot still to play out, mate. I think that you need to... Uh, Keep things down a little bit in your apartment. Look after your neighbours a little bit more. Indeed, indeed. Uh, starting from scratch, they offer premium glass repair. They specialise in the removal of window scratches. Visit their website, startingfromscratched.com.au. Grothy and I will be back next week, 6 o'clock. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.